if you can't get to the essence of your brand with your sound or your audio logo, if you will, then you're not going to drive recall, preference, confidence, and trust. You're only going to either irritate or people won't know what it's for or who it's for. It just sounds <laughs> brought to you by corporate person here. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Tom Emanson. My next guest has been giving brands a voice for over 20 years. As an internationally awarded sonic branding strategist, he's continually called upon to judge and or preside over numerous advertising awards shows, including Cannes Lions, London International Awards, The One Show, Clio, D&AD, Creative Arts, New York Festivals, Radio Mercury, and more. He's worked with almost every major advertising agency and advertiser in North America, as well as many others around the world. He's a partner, CEO, and driving force behind the ongoing evolution of Pirate Group, Inc. Through his day-to-day leadership, mentoring, and strategic development, Pirate has become a dominant creative audio force in the North American market. His focus and tenacious attention to detail ensures that Pirate and its growing list of clients continue to be heard. His name is Tom Emanson, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. I know he has a huge amount of expertise in this area, and it's always a thrill to me to talk with someone who is as passionate about sonic branding as I am. You can find Pirate at PirateToronto.com. Well, I'm going to start off by asking you how you're doing, because weird times um, for a lot of reasons, but (laughs) but how are you? (laughs) You know what? I'm I'm surprisingly fine. I think I'm getting used to the surreal existence. It just seems normal now to put a mask on in the morning and drive to the work, drive to work, and there's one tenth the traffic there used to be, and well, that sort nice. of thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who knew the bingo card would fill out so incredibly strangely? <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're we're going to talk about um, audio branding, but I, I wanted to ask you. Right off the bat, the difference between sonic branding and audio branding, do you feel there's a difference or um, do you have a definition that you work from? Does it matter? (laughs) I think if there was a definition to separate the two, and really I don't think there's that much difference. I think sonic branding is very specifically sonic identification with a brand. And audio branding is anything audio that a brand uses to relate to the brand. I'll give you an example. Sure. So uh, sonic branding for Apple has audio branding. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you turn on your Apple computer and it goes, that's a sonic brand. Okay. That's an Apple ID. But when you hit send on your mail and it goes, Whoosh, that is an audio brand. It's very specifically about the mail. It's not about the brand itself where gong is about the brand. I see. Okay. Okay. I just want to sort of get that out of the way because I know this podcast is called Audio Branding and I know a lot of what you deal with is sonic branding. So I just want to sort of, you know, make sure that our audience knows what we're talking about. (laughs) 
And you know what? I'm not even sure if my explanation makes sense, but if there was an explanation, <laughs> that's the one I would use. Okay. <laughs> it works for me. Okay. So how did you get into this? I mean, this is a pretty specific area of study and work. And I mean, there must have been a whole bunch of steps that led to you actually ending up here. How did that happen? <laughs> well, you know, uh, wow, I'll try and make this short. Um, <laughs> you but don't it's a have life, to. It's a we have time. Of work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as when I was young, I think I was immediately drawn to the power of sound and its ability to communicate with people through music and, you know, cut to the cafeteria in high school and everyone gathering around the the uh, tape deck to listen to a mixtape. Of course. So I thought, wow, look at that. If I put together a mixtape of songs that I like, I'm going to get people who like the things that I like and I can connect with these people. Little did I know that, you know, 40 years later, my mixtapes would be more commercials than mixtapes. I'm still <laughs> trying to connect to people. So that's really the backstory behind it. Um, in terms of sonic branding specifically, I think I was always enamored by the jingle initially. And I was enamored by the ability for it to be an earworm and stick with me long after the commercial had gone. It could be years after the commercial gone, had gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, to this day, you can still sing I'm Stuck on Band-Aids. Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> I think you have to be of a certain age, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Of which I am one, so I'll admit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still very young, at least for radio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the power of that ability for the earworm to stick, I mean, you can draw parallels to all sorts of industries. If you think of James, the James Bond franchise as an example. Oh, totally, yeah. The theme from James Bond has, it's decades old. Transcendent, yes. Yes, and <laughs> um, and we all know what we feel every time you hear dun 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 and totally. immediately you're there. It's James yep. Bond. It's 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 the sonic brand of that franchise. Mm -hmm. um, as I started down the path of um, um, audio for a career, I was an audio engineer, and I was you know fortunate to be doing that in the the 80s and into the 90s when there was a lot of effort put into music, and not that there isn't now, but I mean it was orchestras were on the floor, and it was a big production ordeal. It was unbelievable. It took a lot more effort, and I think because of that extra effort, everyone involved felt that much more invested in it. Mm -hmm. And it was it was magical. Just fast forward to 10, 15 years later, and now I'm the the what they call the track director or the producer on the job, and I'm bringing to bear music, sound effects, and voice to create that same magic, albeit in a digital age. Um, at the end of the day, what, pardon the expression, gets me off <laughs> is when I see people react uh, to the sound. And oftentimes I've, I've had people where their, um, their clients are chiming in at the end of the day. And I, I say to them, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to play you a commercial without sound. So they watch the visual because they're all used to that. They've been sitting through the edit. They've been sitting through the color correct. And I say, and now I'm going to put the magic on it. And I play it again with the sound. And you just watch the faces light up. Um, and that, that to me is, is magic. That's the great part. That is so awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, this whole podcast is about how <laughs> sound makes magic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. So you've had specific instances where you've had that magic happen, um, I'm assuming many, many times now. But what are some of the ones that stick out to you the most, do you think? Hmm. 
I recall when we were when Maple Leaf Gardens was closing, ah, mm-hmm. and we brought in. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, but he was the guy, Paul, Paul something or other. He was the guy who used to be on the PA, and he go, last minute of play in this period. <laughs> yeah. And we brought him in to record a script that had been written for the closing of Maple Leaf Gardens. And um, it was going fine, and Paul wasn't an actor, so the script was written for someone who should have been an actor. Mm-hmm. So it was a little stilted and, and not really, we weren't feeling the love, if you will. Mm-hmm. And... At some point during the recording, the creative team started to debate what the words were going to be and blah, blah, blah. And everything kind of stalled out a little bit. And Paul was still on the floor. And I was still at the console to direct it. And um, I said to Paul just to kill some time, so how did you get involved in this? And he started to tell me the story about how when he was a kid, his dad was one of the first people who put a spade in the ground to dig the hole that became Maple Leaf Gardens. Wow. And as... When he was, when he was, uh, I guess, old enough to skate, his dad would take him to Maple Leaf Gardens and give him one of those metal things to keep him held up, and he skated around Maple Leaf Gardens with his dad. Um, and you couldn't do that as, uh, you know, Joe Public. You had to have some sort of connection, and that was his connection. And then eventually, one day, the gentleman he replaced was a um, famous Canadian um, hockey announcer, and they used to go out to the middle of the uh, ice, way up high above the ice. And that's where they did the calls. Mm-hmm. And it was um, Foster Hewitt. There you go. Okay. Famous yes. Foster Hewitt. So Foster Hewitt was either sick or couldn't make it or something. And Paul was asked to step in. And that's the day he became the guy that said, last minute of play in this period. And he told this story and he just saw everybody in the room stop talking. And all of a sudden they just turned towards Paul in the booth. And they were... Uh, mesmerized by it and that was the magic that we end, ended up being the commercial oh that's great yeah i mean what a I, I it's definitely a personal story it would certainly involve people and get them listening and yeah give them goosebumps <laughs> well and i think it's because the backstory the fact that it was told from his heart he's not an actor it was one of those things of uh, a slice of human history being shared totally yeah Paul Morris. Thank you, Keith. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) I got the Paul part right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I guess putting that history into a visual and an audio format so that other people could follow along is really important. People need to know the history of these things. Well, and I think too, when we, when just to fast forward to as it became a commercial, what we did was we created a, a musical bed for it. Very, um, heroic but uh, emotive uh, in its delivery mm-hmm. and the visuals were of sort of panning through Maple Leaf Gardens um, with nobody in it and Paul telling his story and I think it was that visual audio connectivity that people even if they weren't hockey fans you couldn't help but get sucked into it. Well, Maple Leaf Garden is such a big thing in Toronto. I mean, it was for so, so long. So, yeah, it had a big impact on a lot of people's lives. I can imagine watching that would really emotionally resonate with them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the, the Loblaws version of it now will do the same, though. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Repurposed buildings and all. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well.
you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio-branding-strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website, and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. Getting into the um, the methodology of all this, because you've explained how these things turn out and how you, you know, make them work in the moment, which is fantastic. But you have mentioned before that you have a three-step methodology. I think we spoke about that the last time we talked. <laughs> we do. We, what we discovered along the way was that some, and I'm going to back up a little bit because that Paul <laughs> sure. Moore story was something very specific. But sure. Over the course of my career, I've been asked many times to come up with um, a musical device, be it a jingle, which is a full song, mm -hmm. or just a mnemonic or sonic identity device just for the end of a, a brand's commercial, the five notes. <laughs> um, but oftentimes, that is the brief. We don't know what we need. We just need five notes. Mm -hmm. And we need them for Monday. And so... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> exactly. There's no rationale behind it other than there's a need. Um, and as a result, we come up with our five notes and Monday everybody shows up and we play them and they like them or they don't like them. They don't know. There's no strategic rationale behind it. They just accept it for what it is. And that's more often than not the kiss of death of that mnemonic. It will last for the duration of that commercial and then never to be used again because no one can explain why it exists. Yeah. What we have found over the course of time, though, was that when we, we sat down and sort of hashed it out with the agency and the creative team as to what are we trying to say with this mnemonic? What does it mean? What's, it, what's the emotive takeaway? All those things started to become what, of course, influences what we write. Is it going to be sound effects? Is it going to be music? Is it going to be human voices at a combination of all of them or two of them? All of this comes out in that process of... Mm -hmm. of uh, distilling what we're doing and why we're doing it. And ultimately what happened over time was we started to see the hits and we started to see the misses and we started to ask ourselves, okay, why are these missing and why are these sticking? The ones that stick were always subject to a strategic rationale for their existence. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the strategic ra rationale is in fact what removed the subjectivity, which the others were filled with because there was no answer as to why. Sure. Yeah. I have a client that I'm working with right now to create new sonic identity for. And when I asked them to explain their existing sonic identity that they've been using for well over a dozen years, they couldn't. Okay, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and it wasn't their fault. They didn't they inherited it when they came, but there was no rationale or strategic brand guideline as to why that existed. And without that, um, if people don't understand why it exists, it doesn't really mean anything. How do you find that meaning? 
I mean, <laughs> that's that's the key question, right? Like, <laughs> well, what you're, you're what you're truly looking for is to try and come up with something that um, sort of digs in and explains what it is that um, is the brand's identity. I guess is mm-hmm. the best way to explain it. Um, you need to because sonic branding, sonic or audio branding, reinforces your brand's identity. Um, it needs to drive recall, preference, confidence, and trust. Mm-hmm. And all of those things will um, be distilled from the essence of your brand. And if you can't get to the essence of your brand with your sound or your audio logo, if you will, then you're not going to drive recall, preference, confidence, and trust. You're only going to either irritate or people won't know what it's for or who it's for. It just sounds <laughs> brought to you by corporate person here. Uh huh. Yeah. Definitely the kiss of death. (laughs) Definitely the kiss of death. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And you know what? Brands that are right now, because we're living in an age where everything has sound, brands are realizing the power of sound. And they put a ton of effort into their logos. And now they're starting to think, okay, so we need to have the same amount of effort and energy and power put into our audio logo so that when people aren't uh, necessarily listening for us, when they hear it, it drives brand recall, even though they're not aware that it's driving brand recall. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of voice activation stuff happening now that the only thing you're doing is hearing. You're not even seeing anything. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, human beings can look at a million visual things and distill them at the same time. Mm-hmm. But audibly, we can only distill, once you get beyond three sounds, it's just noise. Everything's noise. And so what we do is we we log on to one of the sounds within the noise because we need to anchor somewhere. It can't just be noise. So when you're walking down the street, there's a ton of noise all around you. But what you tend to do is focus on a noise that has something to do with what you're doing or where you're going to, or you make all that noise disappear by putting your headphones on and listening to something. That's true. And I'm sure that something that is somewhat familiar to you is going to pierce through that noise a lot more easily than anything else. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And that's the, the sound that you're trying to use to make that emotional and rational connection with people. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a musical, whether it's a song or, or a, an audio, a brand's um, sonic device. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every time yeah. you hear that. Yep. You're hungry. know what it is. <laughs> Yeah, well, it depends on if you like it. (laughs) Well, the intent is that you should be hungry. The intent is there, yes. I mean, obviously. So so back to the whole um, sonic branding methodology. So what we did was we decided to sit down, figure out what it is we do, how we do it, and put it into uh, an actual process so that we put started at the beginning and we get to the end. And if we do it properly, there should be a reason for understanding why this exists and why it makes sense for this brand. So we, um, we call it, well, we call it our sonic branding methodology. (laughs) (laughs) Good name. (laughs) There you go. Um, There are three steps to it. And uh, there's a what step, a why step, and a how step. Okay. And the key to this thing working is that we resist the urge to jump to the how, the executional step, Mm -hmm. without going through the what and the why. So the what step basically is a comprehensive analysis of all the existing brand and audio assets. So Pirate will work with um, the agency to uh, look at their predetermined brand, client brand guidelines. Mm -hmm. And then collectively we do a comprehensive analysis of what the existing brand and audio assets are. 
obviously with a, a specific ear, if you will, for the audio components. Mm -hmm. Then we do a competitive audio review and we provide that to the agency with a breakdown for discussion and analysis. Well, you don't want to be like your competitors, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we do a technical audit. And that's basically, are we doing something new and distinct or are we refreshing something that already exists? Do you find one is more effective than the other? Like refreshing or creating something entirely new? I'm curious. It depends on the equity in what you're t attempting to refresh. If you're going to refresh something that has no real connection to the brand, forget it. Start anew. Yeah. But if you're going to take... Um, the Intel bong, if you will, <laughs> yeah. it has equity. Don't throw uh -huh. it out. You That's can refresh true. it. And they have many times. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it depends on the age of the brand, maybe? Or the value of the equity that exists within its existing audio identification. Okay, that makes sense. Does it actually have value? Yeah. Because oftentimes it does. It just needs to be fluffed up a bit or brought <laughs> into today's generation, if you will. Sure, that makes sense. So that would be step one. Um, again, just to recap, it's a comprehensive analysis of all the existing brand and audio assets, a competitive audio review, and a technical audit. Then we move on to step two. And this is the why step. And that's the identification of brand and audio opportunities across all forms of consumer communication, like radio. That's got to be increasing all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> the big ones, of course, are radio, television, social media, e-commerce, in-store, and user apps. Mm -hmm. um, we just determine the audio touch points that can be leveraged by Sonic Branding. Sure. And it, that varies depending on the brand or um, that's doing the, the, the exercise in Sonic Branding. Some brands do not, of course, utilize in-store and where others have in-store in multiple touch points in-store. True. Um, the second part of step two is the formulation of the strategic guidelines. And by that, I mean the existing agency's brand guidelines are examined to look for signposts and that are explored for sonic branding applicability. Oftentimes a brand, most times brand has what they call a brand Bible. And it, inside of it will break down voice of the brand, but I don't mean human voice. I mean, mm -hmm. what what is the, the takeaway of the brand? Sure. What are the colors of the brand? Um, what they do and don't do, all that, all of this guidelines is to keep everyone to paint within that brand's wheelhouse. We look at that those guidelines and look at it for the audio opportunities within that same wheelhouse. So sonic branding is an opportunity to mine to mine the desired emotive takeaway deeper than the visual signposts can do. Mm -hmm. um, and by by prioritizing these signposts, um, we formulate our strategic guidelines. The third part of this. Uh, step two is the development of audio mood boards and sonic signposts. And these are things that are constructed to reflect the visual representation of the feeling of the strategic guidelines. So as an example, when a brand is trying to determine their logo, they will have a whole bunch of visuals on walls in a room sure. that they start to look at and go, that's the right feel. That fits the guideline. That's, they're not there. They could be competitors brands for all we know, but they distill a sea of possibilities down to something that um, makes sense based on the guidelines being put forth for that brand. So we do the same thing with sound. Um, the, the sonic boards, if you will, are comprised of music, voice, and sound effects. And that process is a process of gathering and then elimination so that you end up with, well, this is the right tone of music. This is the right 
tone of sound effects. This is the right tone of human voice. And the, that's the point at which we're choosing the colors that we're going to paint our sound with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We still haven't made anything yet. <laughs> yeah. But now we at least know what we're, where we, the sandbox we're going to play in, if that makes any sense. It's hard to, I would imagine it's not unlike a painter who determines what they're going to paint before they just randomly start painting. Although I don't know about abstract painting. <laughs> <laughs> that's up for grabs <laughs> there you go um but they, they they sit down to determine what they're going to do before they get the paint out to do it this is exactly what we're going through mm -hmm. step three the how the fun part the place where we <laughs> yes. get to play yeah um at this point we um we present three options this is the concept development stage these options are reviewed and if required more options are generated and when all parties are satisfied, we move on to stage two of step three, which is the concept refinement and recalibration. And this is where we start to dig deeper into things like um, media applicability, ethnic suitability, even overall flexibility is explored. And then third stage of step three, I know it sounds complicated. <laughs> stage three, step three, what are we on, Tom? The third portion of the how stage is the internal qualitative testing. That's where pirate agency and client, it's sort of a peer review. You can't mm -hmm. really test sonic branding because it's all about repetition over the course of time before it becomes something that sticks. Sure. So it'll take, yeah, it'll take time for people to really get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. So we do qualitative testing. Are we actually hitting all the marks that we set out to hit that we determined in state, step one and two? Mm -hmm. Are we, are, are those boxes being checked? And we do that by checking the work alongside the work it's meant to eventually accompany visual work, et cetera. Um, cause of course, both the visual and audio should work together to support the core idea and the brand attributes. Have you ever had a client come to you at the end of that stage and just go, no, I think we got to start from the beginning again. <laughs> I have had a client come to me and say, yeah, I know all this checks all the boxes, but I just don't like it. Oh, and I said, okay, well, we had this discussion at the beginning <laughs> yeah. and that discussion was, we may arrive at the conclusion of this process and you'll know why that sound is there and why it makes sense and why it's right for your brand, but you may not like it mm -hmm. personally. And, uh, that's where we got to. And the client said, yeah, I know I'd like to explore this area. Oh, okay. And. When we explored this area, this area that was, you know, had no rationale behind it, was just someone, something the client liked personally, mm -hmm. the process dragged out for another year. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, um, to the end, to the point where we, we couldn't see the forest for the trees because there were so many options put forward, but because it was, um, this, the product of subjectivity, there was no rationale behind its existence. It's why it took so long. And ultimately, they never used it. Yeah, it's just too bad when that happens because, I mean, so much work went into previous. Well, I think there's also a case for negligence at that point. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to have your corporation spend the money to go through the process, then at the very least, you should get to the end of the process per the rationale and yeah. step back and then determine whether or not, okay, we understand why it exists. We don't like it. Sure. That's it. The last stage, of course, is we hand off the assets in pre, uh, three pre-selected formats mm -hmm. and uh, broadcast ready. And away they go.
This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time.